Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We received an email from Sarah Ammerman in central Ohio who sent us a treasure trove of slang involving a certain activity that she and lots of other people engage in. And I wanted to see if you could guess what it is. All right. Okay. Here, here are three of the slang terms she sent. Strainer, drop pool, and boulder garden. Strainer, drop pool, and boulder garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, lawn care or xeriscaping or I don't know what. That's pretty good. It has Scrapbooking. Do with... <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I have no idea. Well, all the kayakers and whitewater rafters are going, oh, oh yeah, I know those. There we go. I know those. She just sent us this wonderful long list, and I, I checked all these out. They're great. Like a strainer is a fallen tree or collection of rocks or other debris that, that does little to obstruct the water but, mm-hmm. but will block your, your path. Mm-hmm. Uh, a boulder garden is a rapid formed by a collection of massive boulders that are right there in the riverbed. And a drop pool is a rapid or a drop that's followed by a calm pool. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Kayaking, right? Right, or whitewater rafting. There's something called a smiling hole, which has to do with uh, the way a wave crest curves downstream at both ends and actually looks like a smile. You can you can look up on uh, Google Image pictures of smiling cool. holes and I squirrely did, water. And... I don't know any of these. I've only been... Whitewater rafting once. Mm-hmm. I was in Ecuador, high in the mountains. Oh. It was, I think my heart nearly leapt out of my chest. I was so frightened of what was <laughs> happening because these guys have been up and down this river, you know, hundreds or more times. And so they get a couple of noobs on their boat and they decide to mess with you and they, they dump you in like as soon as they can in a place that seems dangerous but isn't. Yep. And I thought for sure, I was like, this is it. Bye, cruel <laughs> world. I'm done. That's over for me. <laughs> And, of course, I was fine because here I am. I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of my favorite bits of slang comes from a specific river, the Gauley River in West Virginia. They used to have uh, an area there that they called Guide's Revenge Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's where you could kind of mess with people. But the insurance company, supposedly for this whitewater rafting company, decided that that they couldn't use that name. So they renamed it Fluffy Box of Kittens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or fuzzy box of kittens, or box of fuzzy kittens. Right. There are but lots it was of the same place, where so they would still mess yeah. with their guests, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Sort of like the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I'll never forget the terrified look on my friend's face as we both were like poured into the drink. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> it was. Well, they, they did the thing where they flipped the end of the boat up, and like you're basically yep. trying to stay upright, standing on an upright boat that's kind of end on end, <laughs> you know? And you're, just, you're going down. There's no, there's no way not to go down. You right. just hope you don't hit a rock on the way down. Yeah, I enjoyed about as much of that as I could stand. (laughs) We made it to the end, though, and Ecuador was beautiful, so that's a plus. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Who's this? Uh, My name's Brent Bachman, and I, along with my freshman English class are calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, hi, Brett. Can we say hi to the class? Hey, class. Hi. Wow. <laughs> How many people do you have in that class? 400? Uh, it sounds like 400, but I think we're at about 25. Okay. okay. Good Much better. There. Well, what are you in the class talking about that needs us? Okay. So uh, I used the phrase in class the other day, 
the phrase was called whistling in the dark. And uh, I used it. We were uh, actually reading a, a scene from To Kill a Mockingbird. And in that novel, Atticus Finch says something to the effect of, you know, simply because you're beat 100 years before you begin doesn't mean you shouldn't try anyway. Mm. And I said, oh, it sounds like Atticus is whistling in the dark, which I think means hoping for the best when the outcome is not likely uh, going to be in your favor. But everybody in my class just kind of looked at me. They'd never heard that phrase. And then I started thinking that I had never really heard it. Uh, a friend of mine told it to me. We actually uh, we played in a band together. We recorded a song called Whistling in the Dark. And that's how I had learned about it. But I've never met anyone else that knew that phrase or uh, if I'm even correct, if it means hoping for the best. I, I, I'd say that's close. Um, it's not that common. It kind of means putting on a brave face mm-hmm. when things are literally dark. Like imagine you're walking in a dark hallway. The lights aren't working. You're kind of scared because you don't know if something's going to leap out or an animal's back there or you're not, not sure what's on the other end. And you just start whistling a jaunty tune to keep your spirits up. That is literally what it refers to. This idea that you're in a dark place, things are kind of hopeless, you're not quite sure what the outcome's going to be, and you start whistling to buck yourself up. Okay, so I didn't have that quite right, but okay, that makes sense, yeah. What I think of is whistling past the graveyard. Oh, that's another one that's a very yeah. similar, right? Yeah. But, yeah. That, oh, but that's kind of me. more about taunting death, right? Or well, taunting, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, stiff upper lip, put on a brave face. Yeah. Oh, I'm just walking past, a, a, you know, where people are buried. Yeah, so whistling in the dark is known in English. It's not that common. dates back to about the 1930s. I don't know that everyone should know it or feel ashamed for not knowing it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Did your students guess it? Could could they infer what it meant? Yeah. After uh, after we established that I was the only person in the room that thought I knew what it meant, uh-huh. um, yeah, w- we could infer kind of the meaning based on the the original uh, quote that I took from the text. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the song that you all performed, uh, it had the same meaning. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Tell us more about the song. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can look it up on Spotify. Oh, really? oh yeah. What's the name of the band? Uh, the Knollwood Boys. K N O L L W O O D Boys. The okay. Knollwood Boys, whistling in the dark. All right, we'll listen. We'll look for it. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brett, thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate it. And say, um, study hard to the class for us, will you? Oh, will do. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate yeah, it. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Brett. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye, class. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye, bye. Whistling in the dark. I'm just uh, imagine like a. Yeah, right. Kind of like your eyes are shifting from left to right as you try to stretch your peripheral vision to make sure nothing creeps up on you. I'm not afraid. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Remember our conversation where I was talking about going to Vermont and visiting the town of Charlotte and mm-hmm. being surprised that it looked like Charlotte, but mm-hmm. it's pronounced Charlotte? Mm-hmm. Well, we got a lot of responses from people who were telling us about the strange city names and town names in their area. We heard from Frank Maynard, who's in Northern California, and the city that he lives in is spelled N-O-V-I. Any thoughts about how... You well, might say I don't that? know. Navi or Novi seem like the logical ones, but what is it? Novi. Novi. Isn't that weird? Maybe but it's like Lodi, L-O-D-I. That it could be. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, how are you guys? Fine, how are you? Who's Good. This? I'm Kevin. I'm from Rochester, Michigan, and I have a question for you guys about apples. Apples. Shoot, let's hear apples. it. Apples. Yep. The fruit. So... You have the Honeycrisp, right? The Honeycrisp is one of the most loved apples. It tastes like honey, and it's super crispy, so the name makes sense. Right. You have the Red Delicious. It's red, and it's delicious, so the name makes sense. But there's an apple called the Northern Spy, and I can't put together where it got its name from. Now, how, how is it that you're such an expert on apples? Northern. Um, I'm a general manager at a cider mill, so I spend most oh. of my time with apples. So you have Northern Spy <laughs> apples there on site. Oh, uh, yeah, we did for for last week. They're only available for like five or six days. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, they're, yep, and they're so good. <laughs> what do you, for eating, baking, cider? Um, yeah, most honestly. people use them to make pies. Um, I like just eating them, though. I think when we got our, when we started getting ours, I probably ate six or seven within a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is there anything yeah. mysterious about a northern spy? Is there something that makes you, is it disguised as a pear or 
Is there any physical characteristic that gives any kind of clue to its name? Nope. It looks like just a normal apple. It's a little tarter than sweeter apples, like the Honeycrisp, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like a tart apple myself. Tart apples go really well with peanut butter. Oh, so it kind of fakes you out then? You think it's going to be less tart and you bite into it? It could be that, yeah. Northern Spy Apples. This sounds so mysterious and wonderful. It does. does. I'm hoping there's some, like, big drama-filled story that... How it got its name. <laughs> well, there sort of is. What? Okay. Yeah, there was a book called The Northern Spy that uh, was circulated among abolitionists in the uh, 1830s. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not. Okay. Well, the Northern Spy was this guy who set up a bunch of safe houses for people who were fleeing slavery. And Mm -hmm. he went down to the South and he would go to these uh, plantations and present himself as a slave catcher and ask to speak to the slaves uh, so he could get information. But he would actually be tipping them off. And telling them where to go and how to escape. Yeah, on how to escape. Okay. Is that, and are we sure that that's the origin, or is it a coincidence? Yeah, is that how the apple came from? Well, that's a good question, because I, be- <laughs> I believe the northern spy was um, originated before that. So it might be a bit of a mystery uh, about the origin, but it's pretty cool that it's associated with that book, The Northern oh, Spy. That is neat. That's really cool. That's an excellent story. Now, I'm Googling the heck out of this here, and it looks like it has a ton of names. Is Northern Spy, like, the official name, Kevin? Is this the one that... Um, that's that's the name I've always heard it called. Um, a lot of people call it Northern, or Northern's Space Pie, which is where I was thinking maybe it got its name from. Oh, Northern Pie or Northern's... Because- Pie. Well, like northern pie, essentially, because everyone uses it to make pies. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah, and I'm seeing here that one of the names is northern spice, too. Yep. Oh, huh. yeah, interesting. But I love the story that this might have been named after an abolitionist tract. Yeah, yeah that's pretty maybe. great. Maybe, or at least that popularized it, I Right, think. but all yeah. the names gives me the idea that perhaps the name wasn't fixed in place early mm-hmm. on. Early yeah, that's on, what and, I'm thinking. And that's the reason mm-hmm. it has this name and other names. Yeah. Okay. Cool, Kevin. Cool. Thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. And if anything yeah. else cool and languagey happens in the Apple Kingdom that you rule, do you have to call us? <laughs> I'll let you guys know. All right. Have a great day, you guys. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. from Gary Nachman, who lives in Omaha, and he actually gave me a word that I've needed for some time. It's flugeling. Flugeling. Yeah, F-L-O-O-G-L-I-N-G, flugeling. He started using that when he started using Google Earth. He says, I love to visit places around the world and zoom in. I call it flugeling, flying with Google. Oh, that's nice. You ever do that? Just, yeah, you know, my you son and I like moment. to do that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I hope you like, show me the house that we lived in when I was born or show me Paris and I'll just try to find a cool way to get him there and show him some things that he wasn't expecting. Oh, yeah. so you flugeled. We flugeled, yeah. I like the idea. I like the idea, too. Which reminds me, do you know the website where they show you a random place on Google Street View and you have to figure out what country it's in? Yes. Oh, I love that. That's tough. And you can yeah. sometimes get, you have to look for the street signs. That's the trick. Oh, mm. Cyrillic. I, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> or, yeah. Hmm, Spanish. Yeah, Andrew Sullivan used to do that on his blog. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So flugeling, off to flugeling. Flugeling, yes. I enjoy that. 877-929-9673. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. Hey, buddy. Uh, the game I have for you today, you know, back in the day we tried to do some anagrams here, but, you know, let's face facts. Anagrams, they're not that easy. All the really good ones like Presbyterian, 
for Britney Spears. Whoa, well, yeah, yeah. really? That's good. Oh, yeah. I know those, those are interesting, but then you have to sit with them for a while. You know, we don't have that time here. So why not do easy anagrams? Four letters, that's all we're going to do. Four-letter anagrams. Heck, with some of these, you may not even have to move more than a single letter. Okay. No heavy okay. lifting. Yeah, all right. That Let's sounds more our speed, although mm-hmm. I like Presbyterian and Britney Spears. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Now, for example, a word that means cruel and a designation, what two anagrammatic words are those? You said cruel and a cruel designation? and designation, yeah. Name and mean. Yes, exactly. Name and mean. And what I'll do, though, is I'll run, I'll put the definitions together so there's at least a small challenge. Cruel designation for mean name. Okay, okay. those are our, our gotcha. anagrams. Ooh. So here we go. Here's the first one. Look after a competition between runners. Race and care. Yeah, race care. Very good. Nicely done. Here's the next. Unskilled worker, slangy negative. <laughs> I was going to say nope and open, but that doesn't Well, work. You, you got one of them. I did? Yeah. Peon and nope. Oh. <laughs> yeah, peon, nope. How about catch sight of slangy affirmatives? Yeps and spy. Yep. Espy. Espy and yep. Yes, very good. Here's an you get this one easy. A colorless poet. Colorless boring poet. Singing poet. Bard. Um Drab. Drab. Drab Bard. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I love it. I love when you guys work as a team. Know, right? Nicely done. Crude and offensive joining of metals. I was going to say, weld, meld. but. Mm-hmm. Oh, meld. Meld or no, weld? No, you had it. It's weld. Yeah. Lewd weld. Yes, lewd weld. Nice. That should be the name of something. It's probably, it's going to be the name of my new band, Lewd okay. Weld. Lewd Weld. Completely fascinated British idiot. Wrapped in Pratt. Yes, a wrapped Pratt. Completely tired Aleph follower. A beat beta. beta yeah. Beat beta, right. How about a very dry sortie? A very dry sortie, arid raid? Mm. Yes, oh, arid good. raid. Yeah. That was great. I told you, every once in a while, just doing the four letter. Anagrams, is a little nice little uh, way to just. Martha, you did nice great there. Well, thank you. you. It was all those fantastic. years of eating alphabet soup as a child. <laughs> that, just, that'll do. Know, it. See, or and alphabets, you and know, alphabet, that cereal, sure. seeing them yeah. pop up and mixing them around. And... John, thank you for another great quiz. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Martha. And if you'd like to talk with us about any aspect of language whatsoever, call us at 877-929-9673 or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Glory June. I'm calling from Indianapolis. Welcome. What can we do for you, Glory June? Well, (laughs) this is a little convoluted question, but I've been uh, thinking about it for years. I've had a lot of language questions, that some of which have been answered on your show. I am the daughter of two people who met in the Navy in World War II. And I am a historian and also a performer. And one of the things I've been doing for the last several years is doing a program I call Songs My Mother Sang, A World War II Remembrance. And in it, I tell their story, their romance in the Navy. I sing songs of the period, and I read from their letters. Happily, several hundred of their letters, both on both sides, have survived. Wow, that's cool. awesome. I tell you, it's very emotional. And what I do have, and probably one of the most treasured of them, is the very first letter, apparently, that my dad ever wrote my mom. Oh, man. And what had happened was uh, my mother was one of 20 waves, the first 20 waves who were assigned to the big naval base at Norfolk, Virginia. You can imagine... 20 women coming in. <laughs> All those men, wow. So none of the waves lacked for dates. So my mother and another guy and my dad and another girl went out on a date, a double date. And 
my future mother and father looked at each other and thought it was good. <laughs> so my dad wrote to my mom to straighten things out, sort of apologized for causing her breakup with the other guy, although it wasn't a serious thing, <laughs> and then to tell her that, you know, hey, hey, how about me? So in so doing, uh, the paragraph this is in uh, starts, maybe they, the eyes, did tell something, but it was much different than you spoke of. Gosh, hon, I am not the one to tell you what you should do. If I spoke the way I felt, it would seem as though I were trying to better my own ends. It would also look like I was running a Sandy or cheating on Bill. That's the other guy. Running a Sandy. Uh, now, from the context, it sounds as if that means going behind the other guy's back or something like that. And I've done all sorts of research. I've, you know, I mean, besides just the Googling, I've looked through all kinds of places, and I never found it. And then one day, just in passing, I was somewhere, and there was an old British movie on, a World War II movie, and just in passing, I heard the phrase, running a Sandy. I said, aha! <laughs> but I don't even know what the movie was. It starred George Sanders, I can tell you that. Huh. So running a Sandy meaning to do an end run around somebody or go behind I, their I back? I guess so, Yeah. I that guess sounds about right. Uh, that sounds really about right with what we can find out about this term from other sources. Because it has been written down and it is in a few dictionaries. Really? And there is, and there is something to say about it. Yeah. I haven't seen the right dictionary. <laughs> it probably comes from poker, like a lot of other American slang. Oh, and it, that fits. It, it connects to the term to sandbag, which is in poker where you kind of like hold off um, um raising your bet in the hope of making a larger bet later so that you can actually take a larger pot when you know that you have a, a oh, strong yeah, hand. And so if you sandbag in poker, it's considered kind of a, a crummy move by some people. Um, devious. Yeah, devious, yeah. So you could sandbag. <laughs> and certainly the first use that we find of this word in print from 1897. Oh, really? As a sandy, meaning to run a sandy, it calls it a bluff and it calls it a poker term. And so it's oh, a really heaven. strong connection. I'm not surprised that it would be in the vocabulary of a soldier. Not at all. Sailor, if you please. A sailor. There we go. Navy. <laughs> Navy. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Um, so, oh, yeah. it's so, so it's got at least 100 years history, late 1800s. It is an American term. It's not Canadian. It's not British. Oh. Um, I'm surprised that it popped up in a British film starring George Sanders. But yeah. um, there's no telling how much American vocabulary made it across the pond during the of war. Of course, especially during the war. Yeah. yeah. And it may have been, in fact, you wonder maybe it was an American character saying it, and that was just showing he was American by using an American phrase. Exactly. It could have been, yeah. Glory June, I'm glad we were able to help you. I'm excited. <laughs> we love I to hear really that. Excited. I'm excited to talk to you guys, too. Well, thank you very much for your call, Glory June. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This is great. All Take right. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. The two places I found that term are Green's Dictionary of Slang and the Dictionary of American Regional English. One of the things that this show specializes in is that kind of fringe language, the border language that's kind of outside the mainstream. And it's interesting, though, we often find the strongest connections in history between generations, between groups of people in the fringes and not in the core of our language. And I think this is one of those really great examples. It's a terrific example. I'd never heard the phrase. Yeah, it's not new to me. I'm not a big poker player. Like in the heyday in the 2000s when everyone was playing poker, I played a little bit. But Uh there's so much amazing vocabulary that's kind of snuck in that comes from cards, right? Are you playing with a full deck, for example? Mm -hmm. Ace in the hole, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Pass the buck. Pass the buck, yeah. Yeah. 877-929-9673. From Susan Carl, who lives in Texas Hill Country, and she wanted to comment on our conversation about counterintuitive names of towns and cities. She said, I taught at an Indian reservation in New Mexico, and the author named Thoreau mm-hmm. is a town name there, but it's pronounced Tharu. 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 So you go through Tharu. Mm-hmm. But you'd think it would but be it, pronounced Tharu. But, but it's spelled like the American author. Right, but oh, it's not named for the author. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is uh, Archie from uh, McKinney, Texas. Welcome to the show, Archie. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and you? Uh, Excellent, thank you. 
What's on your mind today, Archie? So, so a few years ago, right, I was sitting with my colleagues at work, right, and it was during the uh, the Soccer World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I work for a company that's a, it's a multinational company, so there's a lot of people from different countries. So some of my colleagues are from Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, they went and, and they bought these T-shirts to support their team, right? And they bought these T-shirts from a, from, from a, 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 a shop, or a, you know, called the, the Wooden Spoon in, uh, in Plano, Texas. They bought it from a shop called the Wooden Spoon, did you say? Yes, uh-huh. yes. So, you know, I told them, you know, how can you buy your shirts from a, a, a store called the Wooden Spoon because you're going to jinx your team, right? And they said, why, right? And I said, that's because the Wooden Spoon is something that's given to somebody who comes last in a contest or somebody who loses a contest, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody looked at me really funny, right? And I said, no, I mean, this is a typical English word, right? Wooden spoon means you give it, you know, somebody who comes last in a contest. And one of my colleagues has a, an English wife, like from, from England. And he said, I'm going to call her, right? He called his, uh, his wife, and the wife said she has never heard of anything like this. So you can imagine my embarrassment, right? And, um, and you know, I insisted that this is something that I know, right? Wooden spoon is, is like a politically correct way to... Uh, to say somebody lost a, a contest. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a long tradition um, that started at Cambridge University in, I think, the early 19th century of uh-huh. giving somebody who finishes last in a particular class uh, a wooden spoon as sort of a joke, as sort of a, a booby prize, if you will. Right? Wow. So this is something that actually exists. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a long tradition of that, and it's been associated with sports. Um, and uh-huh. there's there's also a, a really um, uplifting story that has to do with something called the Wooden Spoon Society. Have you heard of that? No. Well, this is a cool story. Back in 1983, there was a big rugby championship where um, the English lost to the Irish uh, very uh-huh. badly. And so all the, the uh, fans went to a pub afterward, and the Irish were celebrating their victory, and the English were drowning their sorrows, of course, uh, in, uh, in pints of beer. And what happened at this celebration slash morning was that the Irish fans presented to the English fans a wooden spoon wrapped in an Irish scarf on a silver platter as a joke. You know, you're the losers, here's a wooden spoon for you. And the English accepted it good-naturedly, but they said, let's have a golf tournament in order to settle this once and for all, to settle who gets the wooden spoon. And so they ended up having a golf tournament, and they raised enough money at this golf tournament because they turned it into a, to a charitable competition. They raised enough money at this golf tournament to buy a bus for a local school that served kids with special needs. And they continued this tradition every year of having a golf tournament where somebody got the wooden spoon, the loser got the wooden spoon. And uh-huh. since 1983, they've raised millions of dollars. And that's the Wooden Spoon Society. Yeah, yeah, you can find them online. Isn't that cool? So out of Cambridge (laughs) University in the early 1800s, we get this tradition of a wooden spoon going to the last place honors person in a particular exam. Yeah. Right? To this, which is great. Yeah, yeah, sort of a prize for the losers. So, Archie, even though your friends hadn't heard of it and the English wife hadn't heard of it, it is a thing. You're right. Wooden spoon as as a thing that goes to the last place finisher is a real thing in parts of the English speaking world. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, this is going to be very exciting at the office today, I can tell you that. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good. But you, you were right to make a joke out of out of buying something at uh, the Wooden Spoon to cheer on a team. Yeah. Well, Archie, we're really glad to help you. Archie, thank okay. you so much for your call. If they if they protest, you have them give us a call. We'll straighten them out, all right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to be rubbing it in their faces today. <laughs> give them the Wooden Spoon for that's losing right. the argument. That's right, Wooden Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your call, dude. All right, thank you, guys. Bye. Bye-bye, Archie. Okay, all right, bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. 
Hi, this is Susan Byrne calling from Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, Susan. How you doing? Hey, Susan. I'm well. Welcome to the show. Well, uh, my question is that when I was growing up, I grew up in Minnesota, and when somebody in my family would be eating or drinking something, and if they swallowed incorrectly and they started coughing and couldn't breathe, my family members would say, oh, that must have gone down your Sunday throat. I'm just wondering what the origin of that is. Is that something just unique to my family or Minnesota, or does that have some sort of background? Mm. Sunday throat, like the day of the week? Correct. Okay. And throat, like the part of your body beneath your head and above your shoulders? <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, that's an awful feeling. Yeah, and the, the idea is uh, that it's just a joking reference to something going down the wrong pipe, right? Correct. And when I have said it recently, um, people look at me like I'm nuts and say, oh, what do you mean? I've never heard that before. Oh, really? So I don't know if that's just because I no longer live in the Midwest or... It's a very odd thing to say. <laughs> well, I guess it's a little bit odd, but it's been around for quite a while. I mean, it goes back to at least the late 19th century. Oh, wow. I think it's just the idea that it, that Sunday is special, that it's different from all the other days. So it's like the, the throat is different from the one that you're supposed to have food going down. Your Sunday throat being your windpipe. I'm, I'm looking at a reference from, from a citation from 1894 uh, where somebody says, When a dry cracker crumb lodges in one's Sunday throat, swallowing, coughing, shedding tears, and changes in breathing and circulation inevitably result. I'm, I might tack okay. on, it's a little like the Sunday go to meet and close. Sure. Yeah, they're special. It's your Sunday throat. It's something you hardly use. And so mm. it's kind of out of practice of swallowing, perhaps. And maybe that's why you're having oh, trouble with foods idea. being lodged in there. Because it's special. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. I've, you know, I've seen this, by the way, as Sunday pipe as well. Yeah. Same yeah. meaning. Sunday Down the Sunday pipe. Down on the Sunday pipe. Yeah. Yeah. But the good thing is you and your family are not alone. A lot of people have used this. Yeah. It's never been that common, though. But it, it does exist. You'll find it in literature. Well, that's great. I love hearing this explanation. Well, we're glad to help. Thank you for calling. Thanks, Susan. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sunday throat. Sunday throat. Do you know what a Sunday milkshake is? Uh, it's a alcoholic drink without alcohol. That's pretty good. It's a euphemism for beer sold on the Sabbath in the South where you can't get it oh, legally. You, oh, you can't get it legally. It's not like the 1% <laughs> or whatever beer? <laughs> no, no. It's it's uh, like in Prohibition oh, or something. I see out the back door, right? Yeah. Brown bag sold out the back. <laughs> yeah. 877-929-9673. Another bit of rafting slang, park and play. This is like park and bark, what opera singers do. <laughs> <laughs> right, where they stand there and just, just park themselves and start singing. Park and play. I don't know what that is. A park and play in rafting is an area where you can get on the river, access a couple of fun river features, mm -hmm. and then take out without traveling very far downstream. Oh, so you don't have to worry about the whole pickup thing. Right, like, right. right. Who's going to get stuck driving the car exactly. and whatever else has the fun on the river. Exactly. And if you have a wet exit, that means you fell in. <laughs> get out that way. Hey, that's me. 877-929-9673. <laughs> Everything you hear on this episode of this show happened because someone like you donated to Away With Words. You can do it, too. Make a tax-deductible donation now at waywardradio.org slash donate. Thanks. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant? Yes? You have a look? I have a look. I'm just going to apologize in advance, okay? Okay. Knock, knock. Do I need to put my pun pants on for this? <laughs> yes, yes. Put on your pun pants because here they come. Okay. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Otis. Otis who? Otis, too, too solid flesh. I wish it would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. What is that from? Shakespeare. Oh, okay. <laughs> In fact, I have a whole bunch of Shakespeare knock-knock jokes for Who you. Who made these and why? Some guy named And what prison Dwayne. are they in? So <laughs> I don't know where Dwayne lives, but Dwayne has a blog called Shakespeare Geek. 
online, and he's got a lot of Shakespeare knock-knock jokes. Is this the guy, like the Dwayne, like the Dwayne, the bathtub I'm drowning Dwayne? That guy? (laughs) The same Dwayne? (laughs) You know who the ringleader is, right? That's the first one in the bathtub. Okay, Um, so here's... Uh (laughs) You thought that was bad. Knock-knock. Who's there? It. At who? At who pretend then fall, Caesar. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Mike. Mike who? Mike kingdom for a horse. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Wherefore means. Wherefore means who? No, wherefore means why. How many times do we have to go over this? <laughs> knock, knock. What? I mean, who is it? I mean, who's there? <laughs> Interrupting chorus. I know this one. Oh, for a muse of fire. <laughs> God help us. Save me. Call 877-929-9673. Send your help to words at waywardradio.org. I'm dying over here. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Teresa calling from San Antonio. Well, hello, Teresa. What can we do for you? My question has to do with my father. Um, My father was a member of the Great Generation. He was born in 1913, and when he was 18 years old, he joined the Army National Guard. And then he also served in World War II. And something happened years ago when um, he was about 93 years old. We were driving around town running errands, and I told him that our last stop was right around the corner. And then out of the blue, he started singing a song. And I had never heard it before. And I asked him, I said, what is that song? And he said, well, that's the song we used to sing when I was marching in the Army, when we would march on base. And... So I had him sing it for me a couple of times. It was kind of cute, and I have a very nice memory of that. But I was just curious to know if anyone had maybe collected those songs, because I know that they sing when they march, and I was especially interested in the songs of the great generation, because, you know, we have fewer and fewer of those soldiers around, and I just thought it'd be be sad to uh, lose that. So I didn't know if somebody had maybe put a collection of those together. Oh, great question, Teresa. Do you remember the song then? Actually, yes. <laughs> oh, will you um, sing it? I've sang it for my family. Yeah, we'd love to hear it if if you don't mind singing it. Oh no, that'd be fine. Um, I'll apologize in advance in case in case it offends anybody. <laughs> okay. But um, this is how it went. So he sang, "Around the corner and under a tree, a sergeant major proposed to me, who would marry you." I would like to know, for every time I look at your face, it makes me want to go around the corner and under a tree. And it just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Oh, my. That's one of the cleanest of those songs I've ever heard. Yeah, there are quite a few of them that <laughs> oh, are pretty, pretty obscene. Yeah. You know, I don't know of a collected work of these. I know a little bit of folklore work has been done. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few papers about this. There's the odd recording here and there, some articles and stuff. But I don't know of, like, any comprehensive, like, effort to collect all of them before they're all gone. I do know that there's plenty of them out there, but, uh, man, that's a really, these are, these are cadence calls is what they're known as. Yeah. That are Jody calls sometimes because yeah. Jody is the guy who's at home sleeping with your girl when you're out fighting wars, driving wow. a Cadillac. Yeah. Um, I've heard these a lot. They're still sung, by the way, just so you know. They're still sung in the military, usually the cleaner versions. I've heard them in Balboa Park here in San Diego, the sailor's, um, running time all the way up the from the water up through the park and back around again. It's it's really quite uplifting. It kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You kind of want to join in. Yeah, I remember hearing a bunch of them when I was working as a newspaper reporter and following a soldier through basic training at Fort Knox. And boy, <laughs> I mean, they tried to clean it up when the lady reporter was there, <laughs> but I heard some pretty filthy stuff. I mean, it's very creative. Don't get me wrong. It's very creative, but... But wow. But Grant, it surprises me that nobody's gone and collected well, all that. That's the best that I know. I mean uh-huh. I'm not I'm not in the folklore business. Mm. Um if one of our listeners is, surely they will set us correct yeah. on that. But um I, now is the time probably. What Absolutely. one thing you might be interested in, in Teresa is that these actually aren't that old. Is the current oh. kind of way that we think of these cadence calls, these songs for marching, really kind of came about during World War Two. And we believe we know the guy who started it. Did you do you know oh, this wow. story? 
um, generally understood in the folklore business that his name was Willie Duckworth. Um, apparently in 1944, they were marching and uh, somebody caught wind of this particular group that was singing the song. And Willie Duckworth was African-American. And so it's a direct connection to the work songs used in the South that come from the slave tradition, which is really interesting. These songs that you would all sing together so that you had the timing right when you were uh, working in the fields. You had the timing mm. right when you were working in the meals. You had the timing right when you were doing whatever. Cause Chain gang. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't have the timing right, it could mean an injury because somebody's hammer was going to come down where your hand just was. Also, it makes the spirits lift and it makes the time pass. So um, it's really, really interesting stuff. I get that. You know, it was, it's just a very special memory for me. And he's passed away now. But I think about all the great men and the great generation that we revere. And I, I would hate for some of that to be lost. You know, it's, it's kind of a lost, uh, lost art, I guess. So maybe somebody will think about that. But I'll always remember that moment when he <laughs> sang that particular song, Out of the Blue. And it's a very special memory for me. One of the things I would encourage you to do, there is a recording out there, um, a very early recording. I believe it's called V Records. Um, I, could, I, might, I might have that wrong, where they have a very early version of these cadence calls. It's a clean version. Um, and you can find it on YouTube and a couple other places. It sounds like it was done in a studio and not recorded in the field, but, but really, really interesting. But obviously, if somebody records this, it needs to be a book and it needs to be a video or at least an audio recording, right? Absolutely. I hope grant proposals are being written as <laughs> we, we speak. I hope so. That would be nice. Yes. Thank you so much, Teresa, for sharing this memory. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much for hearing me out. Sure thing. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Actually, it's called V-Disc. Um, look for it from 1944. And it actually comes with some narration where they're actually talking about the cadence calls and how they discover them. This is one of the ways that we know probably this is where this really got started in American military. Very cool. Yeah, V-Disc, which is the letter V-D-I-S-C. Okay. And look for the name Willie Just Duckworth and you'll find it. Willie yeah. Duckworth. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Well, bring us your linguistic heirlooms and share them with everybody else. 877-929-9673 is the number to call, or send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Look at this. Glory June emailed us. You know, we spoke to her earlier about to run a Sandy. Oh, yeah. Meaning to sandbag somebody or to, mm -hmm. like, interfere or trick them. Right. Confuse their plans. Yeah. And she says she thinks she figured out the film. The film was Action in Arabia from 1944. And in the scene, it turns out they were playing poker. So Bingo. it all kind of comes together. Apparently, she's now having a final time Googling this. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and she gives high praise to librarians. Yeah, she, she says should. there needs to be a curator for the Internet. We agree, Glory June. <laughs> that's what we try to do, in part. <laughs> Bring us your language questions, 877-929-9673, or email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. My name is Dan Anderson. I'm calling from Ravenna, Nebraska. Ooh, Ravenna, Nebraska. That is a lovely name. That it sounds is. like a yep. sounds like a, something from a fantasy novel. Well, I've been to Ravenna, Italy, but not to Nebraska. Yes, it's an Italian name, and all the streets in the city are pretty much Italian as well. Oh, oh my that's goodness! Super cool. <laughs> what's on your mind? What's uh, what's your language question? Well, um, when I was growing up, um, my mother would always use this phrase. Who was she from home? And she would use that phrase when she was talking usually to her other women friends about uh, some uh, acquaintance that they all knew. And uh, that, that phrase was, at a high level, kind of asking what uh, the woman's maiden name was and... and um, you know whether, but but it was always a lot more complicated than that. Uh, it, you you could never just give an answer and say that she was um, uh, McLaughlin or a Christ or some other family name. It always involved, um, you know, a whole history of of the the, the uh, woman's family and her siblings and where she was from and all those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering just how common that was. I didn't know if if my mom had just made it up or if it was uh, something that was you know, a commonplace. Well, Dan, I have a question for you. Did she have any Polish heritage at all? The uh, the town where she grew up was uh, Polish, German, Bohemian, 
Okay. And, uh, and where was it? Well, it was uh, Loop City. It was about 30 miles from Ravenna, right oh. in the middle of Nebraska. Yeah, the reason I ask is because that same construction is is a standard feature of Polish, and you'll hear that construction uh, translated into English as who is she from home uh, in communities that have a heavy Polish influence. You see that a lot in Wisconsin. And, and Michigan. And Michigan. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Com- yeah. In Polish, it's yeah, they, like Zdom. They would frequently refer to Loop City as the Polish capital of America. Ah. So. There we go. Yeah. The Polish is like Zdomu, which is related to to domestic and ah, words like nice. that in, in English. I'm interested that it meant a lot more than just her name, though. Yeah. You... You knew that um, that when that question came out, you could pull out a pad of paper, and you were going to get her entire history. Uh, you were going to you were going to find out who her how everyone in the room knew her, and where she went to school, and what her family did, uh, where their farm was located. Wow! <laughs> everything, everything. <laughs> And it was uh, you, everybody was just quiet when the answers came because uh, uh, you knew that it was it was going to be a, a history lesson. Oh, that is lovely, Dan. Thank you for yep. sharing that with us. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you, Dan, for your call. Really All appreciate right. it. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. We should point out that from home is what we call a calc right. in linguistics, C-A-L-Q-U-E. which is what C A L Q U E. Yes, C A L Q U E. It's when you take a, a phrase from a word or a phrase from uh, from another language and translate it literally into your own. Like, for example, our term "blue blood" mm-hmm. comes from Spanish "sangre azul," oh, interesting. blue blood. Yeah. Email words at waywardradio.org. I ran into my friend Jeff Sanchez the other day at the grocery store, and he's a nurse, and I always ask him if he's got any medical slang for me. Mm -hmm. And he told me the latest one he's thinking about these days is celestial discharge. Celestial discharge. Is that somebody who dies? It is indeed. Yeah. It's a thing, too. That's kind of nice. I mean, for all the euphemisms we have for dying, that's probably one of the nicer ones. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, yes. How are you? Uh, My name is Timothy Wan, and hi, yes. (laughs) Well, great to have you, Timothy. What's up? Um, Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm calling because I was with a friend a couple nights ago, and um, it is going to sound a little weird, but I have a player piano, and I was talking about how when I originally bought the player piano, it wasn't working, and I wanted to get it working, but I didn't want to have it redone professionally, so I was just going to Mickey Mouse the job and get it to work. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and made a really weird face about the word Mickey Mouse, and he started making fun of me. And I explained that my grandpa was an electrician, and he used to say that term all the time when he would just get something to work unofficially, and he said I was using the term wrong. <laughs> He huh. said you were using it wrong. How would he have used to Mickey Mouse something? Uh, he was saying that it didn't exist at all. And I was trying to oh. explain to him that it was a, a term for unofficially fixing something, I guess. I don't know if that's correct. So Mickey Mouse is a verb? I Mickey Moused it? I guess. I don't know. Have kind I been did, doing it wrong all, my whole life? Kind of <laughs> like, jerry rig it, I guess right? I Mickey Mouse a job, or uh-huh. the job's a Mickey Mouse job. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, your friend is um, wrong. <laughs> I guess that's the best word to use. Um, In a word. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is an adjective and a verb to mean um, something less than good. It has been around for a long time. And I know that's a really broad definition, but in the slang world, it has gone a bunch of different ways since Mickey Mouse first appeared in 1928. By the 1930s, late 1930s, we find it popping up in jazz to mean really kind of crummy music like you might find in a cartoon because jazz musicians kind of look down on the music that was used in the cartoons. And you also see it pop up uh, by the 1940s to just refer to a timid person or a foolish person, somebody who is, like, not worthy of your respect. And all of this comes back to either the way that the cartoons were made or the type of activities that Mickey Mouse himself got up to. And this is really relevant to your condition. If you watch those old comic shorts, what you'll find is Mickey Mouse does, like, the impossible. He does these things with cartoon physics and these things with cartoon situations that could not happen in real life. 
Uh, he cobbles stuff together. It's very kludgy. It's a Rube Goldbergian, so to speak. It, he really just, it's just kind of ridiculous what he tries to do. It's not till much later, in, when Mickey Mouse kind of was an established figure in the comic world, that he became more of like a an ordinary character who wasn't so foolish and nonsensical. Uh, and much later, you know, Mickey Mouse becomes this almost revered figure of common sense, and, and it loses almost all of his foolishness. But in the beginning, he he was not all there, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, so you're right. And the, and the great thing is, like, you can tell your friend, we have a solid 80 or 90 years of history of the verb being used very similar to the way that you used it. <laughs> That's a long time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I love that you used it in a musical context, and also it pops up really strongly in jazz to refer to like a... You know, a Mickey yeah, Mouse. Totally. Mickey Mouse music was just kind of like not good, done by people who weren't very professional or not very skilled or for the lowest amount of money and the least amount of time, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think of classes that have Mickey Mouse coursework. Yeah. You know, people complaining that oh, it's just a Mickey Mouse course. You know, I'm just I'm just having to do this stuff basically to complete the course, but there's no creativity involved. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. So the verb and the adjective both have kind of spread out on this big tree of slang, where Mickey Mouse has taken a wide variety of derogatory meanings. And yours is just one of them. Oh, wow. Okay, that's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, right? Well, there you go, Timothy. Take that to your friend and say, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I'm going to. I'm I'm really excited that I was either right and I wasn't wrong. (laughs) That's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take care, dude. All right, you as well. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673 or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. never thought about it, but in whitewater rafting, they're the terms river left and river right. Why? Uh, because it's the right and left hand sides as you face downstream. It's sort downstream. of like stage left and stage right in Reeve theater. Reeve Gauche, Reeve Joie. Yeah. Never thought about <laughs> no, that before, right? Yeah. 877-929-9673. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.